Hello, thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Uh, Job chapter 38, uh, or if you have your own Bible, of course, in the Old Testament, Job chapter 38, uh, verse 1. This is kind of a, um, it's kind of a poem almost, uh, and you will recognize it, and we'll talk a little bit about it in the sermon, uh, but it kind of goes back and forth. It's a little bit of a poem as, as Job and God are, are sort of talking about what's going on in the world. And so I invite you to hear these, these words of Scripture from Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come And no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stopped. And then from the Gospel according to Mark in chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Again, printed there in your order of worship or here on the screen. On that day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Now other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he, being Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And so they woke him, and they said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' Jesus woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe as they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Yes, God, we do give thanks as we gather today in worship. We give thanks for one another, for those of us here in this room. We give thanks for those gathered across uh, our, our community, our county, our state, worshiping with us online. All of us, of course, united by the power and the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that that Spirit is at work as we read the Scriptures as we ask those scriptures to inspire and to change our hearts, these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Jill and I, when we started dating in, in high school and then eventually, of course, uh, were married and uh, got to know her family better and better, and of course, know them very, very, very well now. Uh, one thing that they taught me, many things, you know, new traditions, new things you learn via your spouse and their family. Uh, one thing they taught me was vacationing on the beach. Yes, are any of you beach vacationers? Uh, in Jill's family, this is pretty much an annual tradition. In fact, I think maybe there's only been one or two years since we've been dating or married that there hasn't been some sort of beach uh, vacation. Uh, my family uh, vacationing is like way more sporadic and random, you know, like one year we may go here, one year we may go there, one year we may not go anywhere. But Jill's family had a, had a pretty consistent pattern somewhere on the Gulf Coast, maybe Destin, maybe Fort Walton, but someone in that area almost every summer. Uh, and so I have learned to be a beach vacationer, and Jill's laughing over there because the skills required to be a beach vacationer are not necessarily skills that I had early on, right? Um, because it turns out to be a beach vacationer, the main thing you do is just sit on the beach, right? Have you been there? Have you done this? Yeah? And this was new to me, so I needed some training uh, in how to relax and to enjoy the beach. And of course, I've learned uh, to do that quite well now. One of the things that, that beach goers know and that Jill's family uh, taught me, uh, when you go to the beach, you've got to pay attention to these flags, right? And so if you've been on a public beach, uh, there are lifeguard stands every few hundred yards, uh, and there are often near the lifeguard stands these, these flag poles, and they have one of these flags up, and these flags indicate uh, the water conditions for the day. And so if you're planning on going out on the beach, if you're planning on swimming, then you need to be aware of the water conditions and how that might affect your safety. And so the worst case scenario in terms of hazards are a double red flag. A double red flag would mean that the beach is closed, right? And if you try to go out in the water on a double red flag, they will come and get you and tell you to get back inside, right? Uh, the next is a high, is a high hazard, a, a single red flag, uh, which doesn't mean necessarily the beach is closed, but you are certainly encouraged not to be swimming out in there and not very far, right? Only accomplished and, and really comfortable swimmers should be out in the water. A yellow flag is a medium hazard. That's kind of, for us, we, we think of that maybe as good swimming because the water is going to be a little bit more choppy and we might get to enjoy the swimming in a, in a little more fun way. And then, of course, a green flag, meaning low hazard. And so you can follow the pattern here. This is sort of like a, a stoplight, right? Green, go, yellow, caution, red, stop, right? And then a purple flag means to, to be aware of marine life, which is probably not something really dangerous, probably not a shark or anything, but maybe like a jellyfish or stingray, something in the area that might uh, disrupt your swimming, right? And so the ocean, of course, as we all know, is something that we, we need to be uh, cautious around, right? We need to be weary of how we, how we experience the ocean. We need to pay attention to whether the waves are particularly dangerous or whether there is uh, some other reason uh, to be concerned. Uh, through our uh, many trips to the coast, and probably some of you have done this as well, uh, we have seen lots of different weather patterns on, on the coast. We have seen many, many uh, beautiful sunny days where you spend practically the entire day out on, on the beach. Um, but there have been other days where storms have come in. And in fact, that's kind of a pattern as well. Oftentimes in the afternoon, uh, you can see out above the ocean a little thunderstorm forming. Uh, it'll move its way toward the beach, and often we'll go inside. Uh, we'll end up watching the storm and watching the weather uh, from the room. We've also been there when, when really serious things have happened, right? Tropical storms have been developing out in the ocean, and the weather forecasts are predicting uh, when it might hit and where it might hit and how serious it might be. 
And when that happens, people begin to, uh, to put things away. They begin to talk about, do you put the patio furniture up? Uh, what all do we need to do to get prepared? And if things are really, really serious, uh, we might even need to evacuate. Of course, we've seen that play out time and time again just in the last few weeks. Hurricane Ida along the Louisiana and the Mississippi coast, wind damage, flooding, power outages. We sort of know the drill from watching that on the news. I offer that image to you just sort of as a way of saying that that we know from experience um, that the water, particularly the ocean, uh, but that the water can be a place of great joy and freedom and celebration Right? A day on the beach, a sunny day on the beach, that's an awesome, fun day. But the water can also be a place of great danger and fear. Right? When storms come up, when the waves are choppy, we know we have to be careful. There, it's hard to overestimate the centrality of the water uh, in the biblical narrative. Across Scripture... Water and how it is being used by God is one of the kind of fundamental themes that occurs over and over and over again. And in fact, it is, it is in the, the water that God's power and God's authority are often on display. Now, you could think about some of the stories that you know. Uh, of course, it begins in creation itself, right? In creation, God creates the dry land and, and the wet and the water and sort of divides them up. This is God's uh, first act in Scripture, right? That God determines what will be dry and what will be water. Uh, you could think about another story there in Genesis, the story of the great flood, right? where God uses the rain and uses the water to cause a flood. Some people, along with some animals, are spared, but not everyone is. And so that's a scene where God's power and God's judgment are on display. Another story is this one that we, that we read often uh, around uh, the stories of, of the Ten Commandments around the Exodus, right? Where the people of Israel are led out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And and in so doing, they have to cross the Red Sea. And when they come to the Red Sea, uh, God uses Moses to part the water. And they cross on dry land. And of course, the Egyptians follow a little bit later. And so what is a a peaceful and celebratory moment for the Hebrews ends up being a moment of, of judgment and destruction for the Egyptians. Another story that I love is the story where, where Moses is wandering with the people and, and they don't know if they're going to have anything to drink. And so, and so God tells Moses to strike the rock right with his staff and that water will come out of it. Right? Uh, the other stories that we know and, and one that we read today is the story of Job that we were just reading a minute ago. Uh, Job, of course, is a faithful man. He loses all of his, his family. He loses all of his possessions. And so the book of Job is Job sort of wrestling with with who God is and who Job is and, and what that means. And so God tells Job, like, like who are you to, to question me? Were you there when I made the world, when I, when I set the waters? Were you there when I told the water where its boundaries would be? And now you're questioning my authority. And so across the Old Testament specifically, God's character, God's power, God's authority are on display in the way in which God manipulates the water. Are you tracking with me? When God manipulates the water, when God uses the water, then we are to conclude, ah, yes, this is the creator God. This is the one with all power, with all control, and with all authority. So when we shift to the New Testament, things are similar but a little bit different. One similarity is that Jesus is also always around the water. 
right? He's around the Sea of Galilee. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus' baptism. Uh, We know that Jesus' ministry is often on the coast or in a boat that, like the stories of the Old Testament where God is in control of the water, Jesus, too, is around the water. And then today, specifically, we read in Mark's Gospel where Jesus ends up in this stormy boat ride with his disciples. I didn't know Chase was going to have actors from the audience uh, put this show on uh, so eloquently. That was really, did you prepare them at all or was that, wow, okay, we've got some pretty impressive acting chops here. And Greg got to be Jesus. Did you? (laughs) Wow, that's pretty pretty good, Greg. All right, so in this story, as you saw displayed with the children's moment, uh, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus. This is Mark chapter 4, so we're very early on in the story of Mark's gospel, and therefore we're early on in the story of Jesus and his ministry. The disciples are in the boat with Jesus. They're going across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes up, which is common, we know, in that day and time. The The boat begins to rock, and so they begin to be afraid, as any of us would be. And then this story is a little bit funny, right? As Chase was telling you just a moment ago, because as the storm is coming up and the boat is rocking, where is Jesus? He's asleep. I don't know if you've ever been on a rocky boat ride, right, or a big boat out in the ocean and it's going back and forth. It's kind of hard to imagine sleeping during a stormy boat ride. And so they go to Jesus and they sort of wake him up and they shake him and they say, what are you doing? How could you be asleep? Don't you care? Don't you care what is happening to us? So Jesus wakes up, and he says he he rebukes the wind, and he tells the sea to be calm. Peace, be still. And everything stops. And then the disciples say, Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now, if we have read the Old Testament, if we're familiar with some of those key stories, and we know in the Old Testament, who is this in the Old Testament that the, we, that the seas and the winds obey him? Well, it's, it's Yahweh. It's the creator God. It's the one who created the oceans and the dry land. It's the one who parted the Red Sea. It's the one who used the flood. Uh, it's the one who brought forth water from the rock, right? That, that's the one who has control over the water. And so in the New Testament, when the disciples say, like, who is this that even the seas obey him? Well, the answer to who, who is this that the seas obey him is is, is God, the Old Testament, the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. That's the one who controls the seas and the oceans. And now Jesus, uh, in this boat with his disciples, is controlling the seas and the oceans. So I want you to look at what Mark is doing there, kind of bringing this thread together from the character of God, the things we know about God in the Old Testament, the way God works in the Old Testament, the power and authority that God has over the water. And then Mark says, look here, Jesus does the same things. And if God, Yahweh, the the God of the people of Israel does this in the Old Testament, and Jesus does this in the New Testament, then maybe Jesus and this God in the Old Testament, maybe, maybe they're related. Maybe the same power that's at work in God in the Old Testament is now at work in in Jesus. So maybe this God in the Old Testament who parts the Red Sea, maybe that God has come to us in Jesus in a new way. I think this is sort of Mark's technical lesson about Jesus' character. I mean, imagine, we said last week that maybe Mark is the earliest written gospel, maybe in the 60s. Jesus has just been dead and then risen maybe 30 years 
And so those early Christians are trying to teach, trying to explain who Jesus is. And this is sort of Mark's way of putting together, Jesus is the one who calms the seas, also known as Yahweh. The God of the Old Testament has come to us in Jesus with the same power and the same authority. This is who Jesus is. That's sort of the technical lesson I think that Mark is trying to teach us and trying to teach readers, that God's power in the Old Testament has come to, come to be in Jesus in the New Testament. That the same God who controls the waters then is the same being now in Jesus who controls these waters. However, when I was reading that story, and when this image came up on the screen, like none of you were thinking about actual experiences boating correct none of you were thinking about like oh yeah i've been in a scary boat ride a time or two man thank god jesus was there to calm the waters and the waves right that's not really what you were thinking about like we're glad that jesus has the power over the seas but when we read this story we know that's not really exactly the entire story in fact maybe the part of the story that resonated with you and certainly the part that resonates with me uh, is the fear of those disciples Did you hear them when they went to Jesus and they woke him up and they said, don't you care what is happening to us? And so when we read that part of the story, you knew right away, this is not just a story about boating and about seas and about Jesus having the power over the ocean. This is kind of a metaphor for our lives. Who among us, who among us hasn't had an experience like the disciples? where we find ourselves in a tumultuous situation, where we find ourselves in fear and with anxiety and and in despair, and we sort of conclude that God must be asleep. Right? Who among us hasn't cried out and and, kind of looked up to God and looked up to the heavens and said, don't you see what is happening to me? Don't you care? Like, look at my life. It's sort of falling apart. Things are not like they're supposed to be. God, where are you? And so that, that theme is, is also in Scripture. We have stories, again, like, like Moses. Moses is sort of constantly arguing with God about what God is doing or not doing as Moses is trying to lead the people out of slavery. We have stories like Job, where Job loses everything, and he sort of cries out to God and says, Don't you care what is happening to me? Don't you see? We have stories like Elijah, where Elijah is looking for God's presence in all these grand and magnificent places, but can't find it. And he sort of cries out, where are you, God? And he finally hears God's still, small voice. The Psalms capture this theme so well. We think about Psalm 22. We, we often think of Psalm 22 in the, in the words of Jesus on the cross, but, but those words had been around a long time before Jesus said them himself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? When I cry, you do not answer. When I cry, you do not answer. And so there's this common experience in Scripture, the disciples, other faithful people, where they they sense that God is asleep, that God is absent. And they wonder where God is at. As I was reading this week, I was 
going through a number of commentaries, and I came upon one by St. Augustine. Uh, Augustine was a third century bishop in North Africa, one of the most important early uh, writers around Christian theology, uh, but not just the more technical theological writing that we might study, but really a pastoral sense, uh, a real sense of people's humanity, people's spiritual experiences. And St. Augustine has written many commentaries, including on Mark 4, and I want to read to you uh, in Augustine, Augustine's interpretation of Mark chapter 4. He says this, You've heard an insult, and it is in the wind. You're angry, and it is a wave. When therefore the wind blows and the wave swells, the ship is endangered, and the heart is in jeopardy, and the heart is tossed to and fro. When you've heard an insult, you long to be avenged, and lo, avenged you have been. And so rejoicing in another's harm, you have suffered shipwreck. And why is this? Because Christ is asleep in you. What does this mean? Christ is asleep in you. You have forgotten Christ. Rouse Him up then. Call Christ to mind. Let Christ awake in you and give heed to him. Now, I think Augustine is a brilliant thinker, uh, but really eloquent here in thinking about the pastoral sense. Augustine says, surely we have all experienced this, this moment, this anger, these insults. Our lives are being tossed to and fro, and, and sometimes we are shipwrecked, and we feel like... Christ has abandoned us. Christ is gone. Christ is asleep. But Augustine concludes that if that is our experience, then it's probably because we have, we have put Christ to sleep. That we have distanced ourselves. That we have ignored Christ. That we have ignored God's work in our lives. That we have abandoned God in Jesus that we've been living sort of on our own, doing for ourselves as we wish. And then when the storm comes, whenever there's tragedy or whenever there's chaos, then we cry out, God, where are you? When we were the ones creating the distance. And so the disciples run over to Jesus and they sort of wake Jesus up and they, and they shake Jesus and they say, don't you care what's happening to us? And of course, the point is that Jesus was always with them and that Jesus always had the power to calm these storms. It was sort of the disciples who needed to wake up to Jesus' power and authority, to the reality of Christ with them. And so those prayers across Scripture from the Old Testament into the Psalms into the New Testament, those prayers where we cry out to God, God, don't you see me? Don't you care? Aren't you, aren't you listening? Sometimes that yelling to God is really sort of a yelling to ourselves. Sort of waking ourselves up again. Reminding ourselves that we're not these individual heroes who can do it all on our own, but that we need the help of, of God in Jesus. And so we have to wake Christ up again, wake Christ up in us, so we can again follow Jesus as we so hope to do. Following World War II, uh, and you can think about all that went on there, uh, and if you study some of the history, some of the most troubling things about World War II were the European churches, specifically the German churches, um, 
allowing and supporting and celebrating uh, the work of the Third Reich. And so following World War II, there was a real sense in Europe, but also in America, there was a real sense that, that the churches had some responsibility, some, some, some calling to, to get together and to work together for the peace of the world, that we couldn't let what happened in World War II in, in, the, in the conditions that led up to World War II, that we as churches, that we as, as global Christians, we couldn't let something like that happen again. And so what was birthed out of those conversations became known as the World Council of Churches. So this includes all sorts of denominations, Roman Catholics, Protestants, free churches, uh, and, and all of them are working together still today uh, as the World Council of Churches, hoping to provide some guidance and some, and some peace uh, in terms of our, our international uh, efforts. What I want to draw your attention to today is coming out of World War II as the World Council of Churches begins to organize and meet. I want to draw your attention to the symbol uh, that they chose for their organization. And they still use this symbol today. It's very simple, but you can see what it is, right? It's a, it's a small boat uh, that's in the water. And that curvy line indicates that there are some waves crashing into it. It's a small boat in a, in a stormy sea. Uh, but what is its mast? The cross. And so this symbol was adopted by the World Council of Churches. And, and that word above it, okumin, that is a, a Greek word meaning ecumenical, meaning we, we'll work together. And so we're going to work together in the stormy seas, in our fragile boats, because we know that Christ is at the center. That Christ is at the center. I love this, this image, and it's been used and recreated in many ways. It's a simple graphic, but it says so much. That a life of following Jesus is not a storm-free life. A life of following Jesus is not a storm-free life, but it is a guarantee that Christ is with us in those storms. And that the Christ that is with us in those storms is the same God who has all authority and power over all of creation. The same God that's at work in Genesis, the same God that's, that's talking to Job, the same God that is in Jesus calming those storms, is the same God that's in our proverbial boat. And if it feels like that God is asleep, then that's probably maybe our doing. And maybe sometimes we have to wake that God up, not because that God has gone to sleep, but because we have, we have put that God to sleep. And so we cry out again and again, wake up, wake up in me, Jesus. Help me to see you seeing me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that you are ever-present in the storms of this life, the actual storms that we experience, the moments of challenge, particularly those that we have known over these past many months, the proverbial storms that we experience, moments where our souls are tossed to and fro, feelings of, of loneliness and fear, and doubt. God, we cry out to you, and in crying out to you, we are reminded again of the call to faithfulness. We are reminded again that you are near to us at all times, that you care for us, and that you work for our good. Let this be our prayer in the power and in the hope of Jesus our Lord.
Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.